What you see is a strategy emerging that says, first of all, don't focus on the things that have only to do with the flesh, number one. Number two, focus on the things that have to do with where Christ is, where you exist in him, and the things that are, what, above. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. Today we continue our series, Dealing with Desire. There is a natural progression to dealing with desire and having real transformation. Oftentimes, we focus first on our physical body, what we should or shouldn't do, and then get discouraged and frustrated when we don't get lasting transformation. But this is the last step. We need to start with setting our hearts and minds on Christ. We can't make ourselves do what is right unless our hearts are purified. We won't have purified hearts until we renew our minds and let God reorient us to what is good. And in order to renew our minds, we first need a heart of submission to God. Here is Tori Bjorklund, president of TRC Ministries, continuing his teaching in part three of Dealing with Desire. Well, I'd like to have us start out in uh, where we left off last time, Jeremiah 17.9. I want to kind of paint a picture of the difficulty that we face, that each of us face in dealing with desire. So in Jeremiah... The Lord says through the prophet that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Now, now some translations say desperately wicked, but I want to just look at it. There's a few other verses here where that same word is used, and, and so we can kind of understand the sense of what that word is. An example of that is you might remember that David got Bathsheba pregnant and had her husband killed. And the prophet Nathan came and said, you know, you are the man. You remember that? And then he said that the child was going to die. You remember that? And so we find in that account in 2 Samuel 12, 15, the child is born and was this same word, very sick. The same exact word that was used in Jeremiah there, the Hebrew word, was used to describe that child when it was born. Also in Isaiah 17, 10, and 11, there's a prophecy here from the prophet Isaiah that says the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of that word. Translated in in the New American, desperate sorrow. This kind of gives you this, the, the rounding out of the concept of what God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15.8, the same word is used again. Why has my pain been been perpetual and my wound incurable is one of the translations. That's that same word there. Refusing to be healed. Jeremiah 30.12. So now we have the same person using the word three times. Thus says the Lord, your wound is, there's the word again, incurable and your injury is serious. The idea of the heart here is not that itself per se is wicked, but that there is a brokenness, there is a sickness, there is a woundedness, there is an incurability in this heart that comes from the deceitfulness that we have in this 
and in fact, double-mindedness. If you want to use that term, that's the idea of deceitfulness as well. So what we have is this dilemma that we're faced with where we want to be good, and I'm talking about just human beings in general. Unless you're a psychopath, unless you have some serious, serious issues, generally speaking, people want to be good. Now the world would say, generally speaking, people are good. I would not say that. I would say that people want to be, but they also want to get their way. And this creates a dichotomy, a dilemma in an individual. How do you get your way while being good? Sometimes there's no conflict. But when there is a conflict, what happens? We typically will try to find a way to get our way while appearing to be good. And this continues to go, as I pointed out last time, to until we begin to actually deceive ourselves and not just others, and we become, in essence, insane. It's a form of insanity, and this is, this is the process that Paul laid out in Romans. Having rejected God from our thinking, he has given them over. And what has taken over? Having their own way. Their desires begin to reign, and they begin to show signs of not just subtle deceit of being deceived, but outright outlandish deceit that to somebody who sees clearly looks like just plain insanity. You'll find this, you'll see this with addictions. First thing that the people in recovery programs try to work on is what? Denial. Because until we get a grip on the fact that we have been deceived, that our heart is decided, is divided, and our minds and everything else are being used to justify ourselves in a form of deceit. Unless we get a handle on that, there really isn't much hope for transformation. So what does it mean for the heart to be deceitful and desperately sick? Basically, I would submit that it means that our general bent, our inclination or our predisposition is that that does not lead to life. This is what it, when it says that the child was desperately sick. The trajectory of him, of his life, was not a good trajectory. It was towards death and not towards life. And you can see that in children. You can see, you can measure a child when they're born. They're gaining weight and there's all kinds of things we can look at to see if their trajectory is towards life. And this child's trajectory was towards death. And that's really what the picture is being painted by Jeremiah 17.9 here, is that the tendency, the inclination of the heart is towards death. But God is not fooled, right? Is that what Paul said? And so did he say that right after the very next verse in verse 10. Remember what comes after that? I search the heart. So the heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, broken, wounded, and evil. But I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways. And now here's an interesting thing. That word ways does not mean 
according to his activities. We think of it that way. Or according to his behavior. Or according to his deeds. Now God does say that in places that he gives to people according to their deeds. But in this case, that word there actually means a road that leads to somewhere. A path. So that's why it's translated ways. It's a road that has a destination. It's not just the destination, it's the road. And so this is what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. God gives them over to their thinking. He lets them travel the road and reach the destination. Deceitfulness in their heart leads to. I, the Lord, will give to each man according to the road that leads to a given destination. According to the results of his deeds. Now there's where the deeds are. And by the way, that word there in the Septuagint, where the Greek translation of the Old Testament used the same word as Paul used when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. The outcome, the fruit. So according to the results of his fruit. And this is why we find in Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. This is the same idea, that God knows what's in a person's heart, he knows the bent that it has, and he knows the destination of that bent, and he allows man, with this condition of heart, to continue down that road. And the result is the fruit of that dilemma. Do you understand? That's what that's talking about. And I think that we don't do a service to our understanding of the condition we have if we think of it as innate wickedness within us. Jesus had a heart, and it wasn't wicked. It's not the heart. It's the getting my way and the deceitfulness that comes about. Okay, so because of this dilemma, and because, I won't go into it, but last week we talked about the interaction between thoughts, feelings, and our will, because of that, what solution that we need needs to be a holistic solution. And there is, of course, this option. And this is, the, to me, the biblical, the biblical concept. And the biblical concept is that you can purify your heart. Now, why do I say that you can? Remember, I started out last week, and I'll reiterate it. Everything I say going forward here starts with the presupposition that we have the life of God in us. In other words, as a believer in Jesus Christ who has the life of God, who has the Spirit of God, we are instructed to purify our heart. Are we not? Is that not an admonition or an instruction? James said it. We'll talk more about what that means. But this is instruction to who when he said that? Okay, believers, he was writing to believers, and what was their condition that he said showed that they needed to have their heart purified? You double-minded. Okay, listen to me, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. That's another way you could say that. In other words, the, the people he was talking to were the double-minded who were believers. So we're instructed when we're double-minded that our heart needs to be purified. I believe the, the biblical view is that God, his ultimate objective for us is to have a purified, unified wholeness 
of intent. That's what a purified heart is. A singleness of intent. Not this duplicity, but a singleness of purpose. So God said, for example, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And this is really the definition of life. So if the sickness, the brokenness, the woundedness that will not be healed, the desperate condition of the heart, generally speaking, is bent towards that which is not life, the intent of God and the reason Jesus came was to tr make a transformation, a 180 degree turn, so that there is a unified wholeness that leads to life. That is the result of the purification of the heart. So the complete state of life is a unified wholeness that is focused on the will of God. The end goal, the ultimate objective is single-minded and by the way, joyous devotion to God and his will. So when we talk about single-mindedness, there's a concept there that is involved and really it's our character. I want to talk about character. So this unified wholeness really is talking about character. When we talk about us being a unified being, we're talking about our, the entirety of our, of ourself, that mind, body, spirit, even our, our social context being completely dedicated to the will of God. And if you start processing through the New Testament teachings in particular, but all throughout the Old Testament as well, what you find is that's really the objective of much of the teaching. To bring about this unity and this wholeness that is focused entirely in a single-minded means as a devotion to the will of God. And when you think about our wholeness, our completeness, what we're really talking about is our character. So the complete state of life is a unified wholeness that is focused on the will of God. The end goal or the ultimate objective is single-minded and joyous devotion to God and his will and having a character that is prepared to carry this out. So now we're faced with this, how do you get there? And this is where I want to go is what are some of the practical steps? So I asked the question last week, what comes first? Do we uh, renew our mind or purify our heart? They're both instructions, right? Romans 12, 2 and James 4, 8. And here's, to me, the ultimate definition of this final objective here. And that we find in 1 John 5, 3. For this is love, this is the love of God. So this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. To be in a position to keep the commandments of God in a way that are not burdensome to us, in a way that is joyful, requires a complete unity, a removal of this conflicted lostness. So when you purify a heart, you remove the impurities. To purify the heart is to remove that doubleness, that double-mindedness, that sickness, and you no longer have a mind to do the things that are not according to the will of God. Now, when you think about that, you think through that phrase, I got a mind to wallop you. What, is that? what does that mean? I got a mind to do something. I have a bent towards, this is my inclination right now is to do this thing, okay? And so when we have the proper character, 
what that does is we no longer have a mind to do the things that are not the fruit of life. Okay? And so this is why Paul talked in Romans 8, for example, the mind that is set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit, which, by the way, I'm not convinced was a capital S, but he's talking about the things, the spiritual things versus physical things, the spiritual being that we are versus the physical being that we are. And so, so what, I, what I want to propose is the first step is setting our mind and renewing our mind. So let's first just talk about character, and then I'm going to come back to that. So character, I've said in the past that character is the sum total of all the choices you've made so far. So if you could, if you could, you know, somehow quantify the choices you've made, that would be your character. But I think I would modify that slightly, and that is, it includes now the the choices you would make under certain conditions. This is what temptation does: is it tests our character. And so, character. Uh, this is a Dallas Willard definition of it. Character is that internal crawl structure of the self that is revealed by our long-run patterns of behavior and from which our actions more or less automatically arise. When you find yourself doing something that you don't understand why you did it, the answer is your character. You don't understand why you did it because of that conflicted desire, that conflicted thinking. You have an aspiration to be good, but you acted in a way that is contrary to that. That's a part of your character. So character is oftentimes revealed in the midst of temptation. So this is the biblical concept, I think, of character. I would say that character is revealed in what we feel and do without thinking. Somebody has said character is revealed in what you do when nobody is looking. Why is that? Because it removes that desire to be perceived as good. If nobody sees it, if nobody knows it, now you're doing the essence of your character. Character is revealed in what we feel and do without thinking. Lesser extent in what we repent of after thinking and what we do as a result of repenting. What do I mean by that? Part of our character is the fact that we want to do what's right. It's not our character just that we did the wrong thing. It's also part of our character that we aspire to do what's right. And so what we want to do is we want to focus on on strengthening that part of our character and removing the other part of our character, that transformation of character that involves the whole person. Let's take a look at Colossians 2.20, actually. Let's start right there. Colossians 2.20 through 3.17. Why don't we turn there? So we're going to set about to change our character. We're going to set about to deal with desire. And so we say, well, what do we do? What are some practical strategies? Colossians 2.20, I'll go ahead and read it. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using? in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. By the way, where is the mind focused when this is your focus? On the flesh. 
See, sometimes we think when we read that word flesh or carnal in the King James, we think evil. That's not that that wasn't the concept. In fact, NIV did us a real disservice by, by translating it as sinful nature. That isn't what Paul meant at all. It was the same word. In fact, in, in one verse, they have to they translate it. He says it three times, and they go switch back, or five times. They switch back and forth, like in numerous times in the same verse between different words, because you can't consistently translate that as sinful nature. But he's talking about here is why, if you've died to the elemental, the things having to do with the elements, the physical nature of this world, why do you submit to yourself to decrees concerning those things? Verse 23, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Now, the extreme of this is the guy that sat up on a pole for however many months. You've heard of that monk. This extreme case of this, the people that take the vow of silence for the rest of their life. There might be reasons for somebody to do that, just like there were reasons for the prophet to run around naked for a period of time. Maybe that's something that God wants them to do. But as a general rule, this isn't the path to dealing with desire. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If we read, start at chapter 3, and we say, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, uh, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. We can think of that in certain terms, but understand the context here is in imposing upon yourself self-made, humanly, flesh-oriented religion. That's the contrast that Paul is making here. When he says not the things on earth, he's not talking about smoking and drinking necessarily, but he's talking about not in your mind on the things that seem to have a wisdom, but are self-made, man-made, religious, that focus entirely on our physical existence. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So what you see is a strategy emerging that says, first of all, don't focus on the things that have only to do with the flesh, number one. Number two, focus on the things that have to do with where Christ is, where you exist in him, and the things that are, what, above, whatever that means, we'll have to figure that out, and the things that you put off were what kinds of things? Character issues, relational issues. Did you, did you notice that? Where's the physical issue in here? It has to do with the things behind it, but mostly getting your way. 
put on these things. What are they? They're character issues. They're relational issues. You've put on the new self, verse 10, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we get back to this idea of a true knowledge, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all, viewing people differently, thinking differently. And so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, and you can, you can go on through this. We need to guard against self-abasement and religiosity. What I mean by religiosity is to be perceived as being religiously acceptable. It comes into that concept of being good, being perceived as being good, as being justified in what we do. But guess what? Guess what it leads to? It leads to that log in your eye. This is what Jesus was speaking against. So at times what we find is we, we find things that are helpful and beneficial to us. And guess what? They become a man-made religion that Paul was talking about in Colossians. We make a religion out of them. And guess what? It, it focuses people, other people on the flesh. It feeds into that area of deception. Why? Because we say, shame on you if you play cards or whatever it is. Which might actually be a good thing to abstain from, but now we've made it a religious dictate. There's, I've heard people say the difference between dogma and doctrine is dogma is what other people condemn you for. And doctrine is just simply an explanation of the truth, whether you, and you can stand condemned or not on your own. We make a dogma out of these things. And what it actually does is it feeds into this dichotomy of the deceitfulness of the heart and does not enable people to utilize resources of the body to actually experience freedom. Because we've made a man-made religion and condemned people with the log in our eye. So instead of doing that, what we need to do is focus, first of all, in the renewing of the mind. Setting our mind where it needs to be set. Now that will lead to, at times, refusing to participate in certain physical things. So I want to say, when we consider our uh, and align our thoughts in certain ways, yes, we will use the body in certain ways. Our body will become involved in, and what will we do? And we'll talk more about this in a few weeks. We might set for ourselves a, uh, uh, I'm not going to watch movies that are rated PG-13 or R anymore. We might say that. And that might be a good thing to say. Where the uh, religiosity comes in is when we make a doctrine or a dogma that this church does not participate in movies that are rated R. Where's the vision in that? Remember the, the formula for transformation? Vision, intention, and means? What we did is we made means the first thing when we do that. The reason why is the vision. What I want to do is I want to give you a vision that brings to you an intention for a good reason to be avoiding that and not a man-made religion based on self-abasement. Guard against submitting yourself to man-made religion.
There is a place emphasized for bodily discipline, and we'll talk about that a whole lot more. But it is not an end in itself. It is a means for something greater, and that something greater should be what our focus is, even as we do discipline our body, even as we do abstain from certain things. I just want to touch one more place here about this man-made religion. This is, I'll tell you what, this is such a stumbling block, and it creates so many problems for people because what happens is we get hung up on the man-made aspect of it and the physical aspect of it to such a degree that our mind becomes so set on the flesh that the only benefit it provides for us is self-justification because we can find somebody that's worse than us in that area. And that's what the Pharisees were about. So Jesus said, your righteousness has to go beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees. A type of righteousness that is beyond that. And so here's the, the kingdom teaching versus the Pharisee teaching. By the way, was it a proper thing for people to keep the Sabbath, for example? Yeah. Where did they get hung up on the Sabbath? They didn't have the vision for Sabbath. They thought external behavior was more important than internal intent, including the intent that God had Sabbath. So Jesus got frustrated because they didn't want him to do good on the Sabbath. So it wasn't that Sabbath was wrong. And so it's the same thing with this idea of man-made religion, religiosity. Many of those things are good things. And I'd say, do them. That's why Jesus told his disciples, do what the Pharisees say. Just don't, don't follow them. Okay, so... Look at some of the things where Jesus went to this idea. No adultery. Don't cultivate lust because it leads to adultery. Where is he focusing? He's not focusing on the behavior. He's focusing on the source of the behavior, which is the intent and what? The state, the, the place of your mind. The way that you see things and the way that you then view other people. If you're going to divorce your wife, give her a certificate of divorce. That was given by God. All of these were given by God. Jesus said, hey, you should be faithful. Fulfill your vow vows. When Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, what he was talking about is don't spin stuff. Don't try to, you know, I swear on my mother's grave. When somebody says that, what does that mean? That means... Okay, I lied before, but I'm really serious now. <laughs> That's what Jesus was speaking against, is trying to manipulate people's view of things by making these grandiose statements. I swear on my head. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. Strict justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus' admonition, this kind of righteousness is bless and endure. Stand with the person that slaps you. Stay in the relationship and try. I don't want to be misunderstood to say that there isn't a time to bolt. I just want to say that his point there is that, I mean, if you look at the comparison of what he was comparing that to, is not resisting evil that is directed towards you, but instead endure it. Don't get them back. Okay, you should... Love your neighbor, which include their, their neighbor, by the way, was 
the Jewish race, their people. He said, love everybody, even your enemy. Looking good and being good is really what it came down to. Worrying and striving and trusting God. These are the things that Jesus taught, and they really come down to the difference of temporary approaches. You might be able to succeed in not committing murder. You might be able to succeed in looking good, but you will not have transformed the heart. A transformed heart, this. And it, if you focus on this, guess what? These will take care of themselves. Okay, last thing. This is the transformation process overall. And I guess next week we'll have to talk more specifically about how you set your mind on things. This is the process. Submitting to God is first and foremost. I already said that before. But in order to have a holistic change of character, in order to have a, a change of, of our entire being, we need to have a holistic approach that's based on the life of God in us. So it starts with these two things, right? Submitting to God. Submitting to God has the two factors of what? Repenting, that's agreeing with God, changing your mind, and placing your faith in God, believing him. Submitting to God. We receive the life when we do that. By the way, receiving, that comes to us, if you will. This is really receiving, and it comes to us naturally as a result. Then, renewing the mind. So that's what we're going to talk about. Then, purifying the heart, which, by the way, is a, is a natural process. It naturally leads from the renewing of the mind. It doesn't necessarily automatically happen, but it naturally leads to purifying the heart, which, by the way, leads to presenting the body. And what we have done oftentimes in Christianity is focused on this one first. Little feet, you know, don't take you here. You know, watch what you see, watch what you hear. Those are good things. But if our teaching isn't about watch what you think, this won't do you much good. You'll have temporary success. But it'll lead back to that same dichotomy because of the sickness of the heart. And to transform that heart and purify it, you have to start with this. And that is why the truth is where God started. And that's what we'll start, I guess, next week, is how to go about renewing the mind. Let me pray real quick. God, we need your help. We need your life. This is bigger than us and even beyond our understanding. But we know that you are interested in transforming us and bring, become the kind of people that Jesus was, that Jesus is. And we want to have that same character. And I just pray that you will help us to come into that through a submission to your truth and your spirit, keeping in step with your spirit and and uh, allowing the, the truth to have its full impact on us. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.